BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Mannix from The Vertical, and welcome to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix, where I check in with some of the top players, coaches, and analysts covering the NBA. This week, I sit down with Minnesota Timberwolves forward Andrew Wiggins. It's been nearly a year since the untimely death of Timberwolves coach Flip Saunders, and I asked Wiggins what Saunders meant to him and his career. He hasn't seen me play a real NBA game yet, but he's trading his franchise player that averaged 26 and 12 for someone that hasn't played an NBA game before. So I was like, I must be something special. He must believe in me. He must think that I'm going to be something in this league. And... Flip Saunders, that's a legendary coach. So you think about him saying that, thinking that about you, your confidence is going to go through the roof. Also, Bobby Marks, the former Nets assistant general manager and front office insider for The Vertical, joins me in studio. I asked Bobby why NBA GMs seem to be jumping off the Anthony Davis bandwagon. With Davis, you've got injuries. Team came off a poor year with a lot of injuries amongst their, their roster. That's how, you know, GMs look at it. I think it's just a lot of it. We, you know, GMs do get caught up in the moment. All that and more coming up next on the Vertical Podcast with Chris Maddox. Welcome back. We're inside the Minnesota Timberwolves practice facility here with uh, Andrew Wiggins, third-year player, Andrew Wiggins. Only 21. Can you believe it's third year in the NBA for you? 
ago, it was like 10. <laughs> <laughs> what, I mean, what if, when you look back at, at the last couple of years, I mean, if you could tell your, your rookie self something about what to be prepared for, what would you do? I would tell him be prepared for the amount of games you play, how your body's going to feel, how to take care of your body, because it's a long season. And you've been incredibly durable for the first couple of years, 82 one year, 81 the next. I mean, have you felt, the, even at the young age of 21, have you felt that, that wear and tear? You feel it. You feel it. You know, I feel like I'm getting older. My body's getting older. You know, I still feel athletic and all that. But I feel, I, I feel it, you know, but there's a lot of stuff you can do, you know, to get back to your normal self, you know, with icing and all type of treatment you can do. But I feel good right now going into this season. So. When you look at the, the progress you've made over these uh, last couple of years, what are you most happy about? And what are the things that you look to the future to be better at? Individually. Individually, yeah. Um, I, I've gotten stronger. I've gotten a lot smarter, you know, with the game of basketball and more confident, comfortable. You know, I know what I can do in the court. I know my spots where I can score. You know, my confidence right now is through the roof. Give me an example of, you said you're a lot smarter. Give me an example of something you weren't so smart about that first year, and now you are. Not that, not, not that I wasn't so smart about my first year. I got better at it. Okay. You know, I see, I see more stuff, you know, because they say experience, you know, can be the best teacher. You know, the more games I played, I just learned. You know, like, say I'm coming off a pick and roll, and the other guy, the, the guy in the wing raises up, and then there's a guy in the corner that can swing the ball to, or always driving baseline. There's always going to be someone in that opposite corner. Mm-hmm. There's just certain stuff that you know that's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Well, you were just asked in that media gaggle about Flip Saunders passed away almost a, a year ago. Mm-hmm. When that happened, for you individually, how did that affect you? Uh, it hurt, you know. It, was, it wasn't the best day for me. It wasn't the best day for anyone, you know, but... Stuff happens, you know. He had a vision. He, he he'd want us to always play hard, you know, play our hard out. And you know, every game we play, we play for flip, you know, regardless of the situation. And you had brought up the the unbelievable confidence that Flip showed in you to trade a player like Kevin Love, the franchise player, to get you basically sight unseen at that yeah. point. What did that mean to you to have a coach invest in you in that particular way? Oh, it meant a lot. You know, as soon as it happened, I was like, dang, they want to trade him for me. I was like, he, he hasn't seen me play a real NBA game yet, but he's trading his franchise player that averaged 26 and, and, and 12 for someone that, has, that hasn't played an NBA game before. So I was like, hey, I'm, I must be something special. He must believe in me. He must think that I'm going to be something in this league. And Flip Saunders, that's a legendary coach. So you think about him saying that, thinking that about you, your confidence is going to go through the roof. His memory is still here, obviously. His name uh, is on a bunch of stuff. Obviously, his son, one of the uh, assistant coaches there. But how do you remember him? Are there ways that, that you try to, to remember his, his, his life? Flip, sure. He was a player's coach. You know, always looked out for his players, always protected his players. Loving guy, loving, caring guy. Loved his family, loved everybody. Treated everybody with respect. You know, never looked down on anybody. A joy to have around. You know, best coach. He was just a great guy, a great family member. When you look just from a purely basketball perspective, to have your coach pass away that close to the start of the season, what did that do to the team early on? Uh, it hurt, you know, for everybody. You know, it was like something just missing. You know, it was like that for the longest time, but 
at the other end, we know that Flip wouldn't want us to play bad or not as hard because, you know, he wasn't there. So we went out and, you know, we had the best start. We were like 3-0. Mm-hmm. We had a great start to the season, you know, because we played in memory of Flip. We played for him. When you look back at, at last year as a whole, 29 wins, but, you know, the potential is, is clearly there. What do, you, what do you think of last season? Um, I think last season was a good learning experience for us. Um, we learned a lot, seen a lot. Um, we didn't win a lot, but we were close in a lot of games. You know that could easily win. That could easily win in our favor. But, you know, it's just another year under our belt. We learned and we got through it. It's a process. This year is going to be even better now. You see that a lot with young teams that they lose the close games at the end, and then they learn from it in the following years. How do you learn for it? Like, what are you, what are you and, and your teammates better at now at the end of games that maybe you weren't as good at uh, last season? Oh, there's a lot of things that come down to it. You know, digging in there to rebound, digging in there to to defend. You know, um, getting your plays right, executing your plays is key. You mm-hmm. know, down in the fourth quarter, that's when the game slows down. Half court sets and not as, as much transition. Then you really got to execute. You know, the team that executes and rebounds usually wins the game. There's a lot of of excitement about this team around the league because of all the young talent that you guys have here. But maybe nobody's more intriguing than you and, and Carl and, and how you two develop as kind of a tandem moving forward and the chemistry that you two have and hopefully will have in the future. How would you evaluate that chemistry between the two of you over the last year plus? Oh, it's been building. It's been building. You know, even his first year here, you know, we were we were close. You know, Carl's a, Carl's a guy that you, you just get close to. He talks a lot. He's everywhere. <laughs> you know, he's talking to everybody. He's a people's person, you know, so you're going you're gonna to get a you know, some type of relationship with them, you know, and it's been growing on and off the court. We hang out off the court, on the court. We start, you know, me and him have big roles in the team, Mm -hmm. you know, so that chemistry is building every day. When a guy like that comes to the team, do you wonder, am I going to like him? Am I going to be friends with him? Does that go through your mind at all? Uh, No, I really might think when you you don't know him, like before he got drafted and stuff or when he got drafted, you might think, oh, how's he going to be? But I had the chance to play for him in high school mm-hmm. for a game, Hoop Summer Games, and I was his roommate. So I knew how he was already, so I was excited. <laughs> and did you you know then that, that he was a good guy and you'd like to be around yeah. him? Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the court, I mean, what, as you look at what you guys were able to do last year, what stands out as positives? What stands out to you as stuff you're going to be working on? Pardon me? What, when you look at what you guys mm-hmm. did on the court last year as you try to develop that, that on-the-court chemistry. What what were some of the positives of that, and, and what's something you think you need to work on? We did a lot of great things, you know, in, like, the two-man game, you know, and when the time was running out, fourth quarter, we we did we, we had a lot of great plays, mm-hmm. a lot of great plays. And this year, coaches put us in a lot of different positions to do even better plays, you know, to be even better. Is there, you said uh, the two-man game type of plays, is there, like, a play or a set or something offensively that you can see you know, he started last year and going forward, that's going to be your bread and butter with him? Um, the thing is, our, our end of, like, end of possession plays all usually end up in the same thing, really. You know, but every play we got, it consists of the guard and the big men with the screen and roll or 
a handoff or something. So I'm getting involved with, with Carl either way, whether I, whether I like it or not. We're going to have the opportunity on the, <laughs> on the play to make something happen. You have a, a new coach, and I want to talk about a little bit about what he's brought to this team so far. But, you know, I, I noticed even just now, uh, mm-hmm. Tom talking to you and Carl uh, on the practice floor. How much does he talk to you two as the young leaders of this team? And, and, and what does he talk to you about? Oh, a lot. He, he, he pushes us a lot. You know, he talks to us about leadership, about how's the team doing, what do you guys think about practice. He's always asking us, you know, he wants to, like, it feels like he wants to get better at what he's doing, and he's teaching us a lot. We want to get better, you know. So we, we're all building a great, great, you know, relationship, you know, and he'll take us in his office and talk to us, watch film with us, the head coach watching film with you, you know. So it, it, t- it tells you a lot. When he talks to you about leadership, what does he expect from you? He's going to play hard, play hard, talk, pick everybody up. You know, he, he always says, you know, how you, Carl, and Zach play, that's going to set the standard for everybody else. If you guys play hard, it's going to make everyone else rise. If you guys don't play hard, people are going to think they don't, they don't have to play hard because you guys aren't playing hard. So he always tells us, you guys have to play hard. You guys are the reason you make the team go. So, so it's more of a leadership by example thing as opposed to vocally or? I feel like there's a lot of people – our leaders in, in like in different ways on this team. Like Ricky, he's a great vocal leader. You know, he talks, he gets everyone involved. Carl's a great vocal leader. I feel like I'm a, I'm better at leading by example and leading than leading vocally. Mm-hmm. Those guys are louder than me. But mm-hmm. my my leading by example, what I do, it speaks volumes mm-hmm. itself. So when he takes over, when Tom Thibodeau takes over this team, he was telling me yesterday that he wanted all you guys around in April. Were you there for that when that first, um, when he first got the job? Did you have yeah. a meeting? What was, what were your first impressions of him when that first meeting happened? I was excited, you know, what he was saying, his, his vision for the team and how excited he was, you know, that got me happy and excited. Mm-hmm. What was what was he telling you guys about his vision for the team and, and specifically for you when when the off season starts and and he knows he's going to be gone for six weeks seven weeks whatever it is with USA basketball what did he tell you specifically about what he'd like to see you do in the off season? Oh, not like going into next season. Going into next season, yeah. Oh, he said he just wanted me to take over. He wanted me to be a leader. You know, he wanted me to do more. Wanted me to rebound, do everything I can for the team. You know, just assert myself. And, he wants me to do everything. <laughs> everything I can possibly do in the court, he wants me to do. He's got a great reputation in terms mm. of success. The Chicago teams, their records speak to themselves. He's known as, as a tough coach, as a tough, demanding uh, coach. Did you, are you the type of guy, do you ask around to players that used to play for him and ask them what they thought about him? How, did you do any research on, on who Tom was? Uh, I knew. I, I, I didn't ask around. I don't know too much. I, I, I don't have a relationship with like a bunch of players around the league so I didn't hear like you know ask them but I knew who he was before he came here mm-hmm. I knew I knew his history his track record you know he's he's proven you know he's certified you know he's done stuff for you know teams that you know other coaches couldn't do he was telling me he brought the team to Vegas the whole team to Vegas during mm-hmm. summer league what was that week or so whatever it was like for you and, you and your team it was great it was great you know we got a chance to work out and then we got a chance to watch you know the rookie do his thing in summer league. Mm-hmm. When um, when you're working out together, are you, are you eating together? Are you is it a bonding type of experience for you guys, or is it just about basketball? Right now, no. When when in the summer league, oh, uh, summer when you're league? there, uh, I feel like it was more summer league was. They were foc- that we were focused more on you know the summer league team and and the rookies and stuff like that. 
I think now that we are the regular season and our actual team, now we do a lot of like team team stuff. Mm-hmm. We go out to eat, we go out to movies, we do all types of stuff. So he's a yeller. I mean, I yeah. I thought he was going to get thrown out of the game Friday night. Yeah. I mean, he was, <laughs> I mean, it's a preseason game, and he's going in on on the referees that game. I mean, have you had the uh, the maybe unpleasant experience of getting yelled at at this point? I don't even really notice it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, hap- it happens a lot. It happens a lot. You know, that's his his tone of voice. You know, you got you got to listen to the message, not the tone with him. Mm-hmm. So that's what I listen to. He's. Um, got a great reputation for preparation you know even guys like John Lucas have told me in the past that and other guys Jimmy Butler have said that when they walk into um, a pregame meeting and that stuff is on the whiteboard whatever the game plan is they know if they follow it um, they're going to have success with it what have you noticed about his preparation and does it differentiate at all from anyone else you played for it's very consistent and it's different from other coaches I've seen you know it's different there's a bunch of stuff Everything you can think of, everything you can think of is on is on the board. Mm-hmm. We go through it all mm-hmm. <laughs> every time. <laughs> so it's, it's a routine. He doesn't miss nothing. It's always the same. He stays very consistent with mm-hmm. his work. Is it make it? Is that make it better for you? Is the, this a, that's a lot of information. Is it better for you to have that information to absorb it? Definitely better for us to have it because we know what's going to work, what's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Just lastly, the uh, where, where you are in Minnesota. I mean, you mentioned you're three years in already. It's amazing. At 21, you're, you're three years in. Is this a situation you like being in when you think of, of whatever your long-term future is going to look like? Does it look like it in Minnesota? Yeah. For me, I'd want to stay here for as long as they want me. And long mm-hmm. I want to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, I love it here. I love the city. And I love the fans. I built a relationship with everyone in here, mm-hmm. everyone that works here. So I, I love it here. I'd want to be here forever. Coaches don't like to to put numbers on on what they might do this season or expectations on a season. But do you personally have expectations both for what you want to do and for what you hope this team is going to do this year? I just, I, I just want to make the playoffs. <laughs> That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. If we do that, then, you know, it, our goal is complete, you know, because we know we're only going to build from there. Losing's got to just suck for a guy that's won as much as you have. Losing is your... never, it's never fun. <laughs> it's, probably, it's the worst thing that can happen, <laughs> losing. No one likes it. Well, Andrew, thanks for joining me here. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to stop by. Thank you. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. It's the MMQB Podcast with Peter King. This is about five years ago. There we are at dinner. Donald Trump is telling one of his million stories about his beautiful acreage and his golf course and all his business. And right behind me and my wife and everybody else, some six foot four brunette walks in the room. <laughs> and he goes, wow, stops telling the story. She's beautiful. We all looked at her, then looked back at him. He finished his story. <laughs> For the rest of this conversation with Rich Eisen, please search the MMQB podcast with Peter King to listen and subscribe. All right, we're back, and we're back here in our New York studios. The NBA season is uh, kicking off tonight. A couple of games tonight. The full season kind of starts in earnest on Wednesday. And to join me and talk more about that is Bobby Marks, the uh, front office insider for The Vertical, uh, former assistant GM uh, with the Brooklyn Nets. Bobby, we've seen in the last 72 hours or so a lot of those end of the uh, roster transactions. The fight for the 15th man spots have been uh, completed over the last couple of days. You've been involved 
in those fights. You've had to be part of of cutting players. What are those those roster battles like for an executive? Well, it's not easy, and I think that's why you saw a lot of teams take up till Monday. You can submit your rosters by five o'clock and and make those final um, you know final waivers. And it's you have to look at it from a job perspective. It's almost like you're you know firing. I guess firing an employee. Um, it's a little bit different now, just based on how the D League has taken off. That a lot of these players that have come into camp are under the impression either from their agent or from the team that there's an affiliate uh if you're the yogi ferrells of the who was in the nets camp he'll be playing for the long island team the hard part is is that what we saw was some of these first rounders that just got cut the jordan adams the mitch mcgarry's the rj hunters rg goodwin that is a hard pill to swallow former first round draft picks in in some cases hunter on his only um you know on a second year um, you know, getting waived there, and and it's basically you just face a numbers crunch. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that maybe the most marquee, if you want to call it that, fifteenth uh, man fight was R.J. Hunter and and James Young in Boston, two first round picks that, that the Celtics just uh, and, and neither one of these guys distinguished themselves over the first couple of years or the last couple of years of their career. But to see, you're right, first round picks having to swallow that kind of financial pill that that can't be fun uh, for an executive. But look, you've You've cut players, been part of cutting players in the past. Any any cuts stand out to you? Any moments that, that you remember from your days of telling a guy he's he's got to go? Well, the one thing you you can't do is cut a player by yourself. Because <laughs> well, and if you're going to do it, you better make sure the door's unlocked because uh, you don't want any uh, long you know after uh, effect. But I've been in a room you know when it was when I was you know either worked for Rod Thorne or or Billy King most recently where you're in the room sitting there. You know most of these players take it pretty well. There is a certainly a um, a sense of you know disappointment on their uh, on their face. Today, you know, the Monday cut down date is is the hardest, just because they've you've gotten them to like almost the finish line, and to do it, you know, with the season, especially when you're going to play a game in two days, that that's that is really hard. Tell, now, I want to get to the Golden State Warriors and and how do you exactly stop them in some ways? Even the Cleveland Cavaliers, same thing. But the news of the last week or so has involved a collective bargaining agreement, and we now seem more likely than not, I guess it's safe to say, to have. A new deal. Our colleague Adrian Wojnarowski reported uh, yesterday that it's a seven-year deal that the league is negotiating with a six-year opt-out, which would presumably give the league labor peace through around 2023, possibly 2024. I mean, how big is it for the league to get this done now? You know, eight nine months ahead of when that you know artificial deadline of potentially missing games exists. Well, it's 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 big just because I think if you get past that December 15th opt-out date that both sides have, then you you go into some uncharted waters because you you, you don't know if you're going to get be able to get something down done during the season. I think when we look back at 2011, both sides let this thing prolong to the summer, figured out they'd be, be able to get a deal done within a couple months and then, you know, we get to, you know, end of September and there's no deal. So to get something this quick is big just for for harmony within the league. It, it sets a really good example to the other leagues, the NFL, to the Major League Baseball, to to NHL that there is a um, a product right now that is worth watching. Um, you know, money is as good as ever for from a from a player standpoint. But you know, I've never I've never seen, and I've been part of, I guess, four different collective bargaining agreements to get a deal done this quickly. From what you know of of the details that have emerged to this point, what's what's the most compelling? What do you think is going to be the most um, most uh, important 
uh, parts of this deal that have come out to this point? Well, the one thing that's going to be interesting, and it's it's going to be uh, interesting from a point of is it's the cap holds, and it's it's there's going to be an increase in the cap hold. There's it's based on how your free agent status is, but there's uh, reports that it could be up to three hundred percent. The big question will be is it will be grandfathered in, will start right away, will be the be some type of um, grace period. We saw it with the tax a couple uh, in 2011 that the, the league let a two year window go. Because if it isn't, and if it starts right away in uh, in July, Steph Curry, his cap hold is going to be huge. That's one of the benefits of him being on such a low salary. Will they be able to afford uh, Livingston and uh, Iguodala, especially with Duran as a free agent? That they did, you know, that's put into place because we saw this summer, um, Drummond, Beal, players who eventually signed max deals. Uh, both both teams, Washington and, and Detroit, used cap space, signed players. Circle back, used used a, a max level to, to sign each guy. That's going to go away. You're going to see rookie scale contracts go up forty five percent. How that, does that go away though? Tell me how that how teams. You know, I know what you mean because you know they have the, these under the table agreements. We're going to give you a max deal. We do this. How do they make it go away? Well, it's going to be at such a higher number. From what I understand, is, is that it's going to be kind of broken into two criteria. If you are making more than eight million dollars, your cap hold is going to be three hundred percent. If you're making below eight million, it's going to be two hundred and fifty percent. So it still will be in play. There'll still be somewhat of a, a loophole possibly here, but it goes away from basically you're going to have to figure out your own players first before you can go into free agency and, and use the the room. The, the The days of those you know bargain contracts, eight nine million dollar guys are going to be kind of out the window. We know that the NBA hates super teams. They don't want the balance of power to reside in one location as it does right now uh, with Golden State and to a lesser degree with Cleveland. The, the details that you do know, how does it work or does it work against a team like the Warriors or against a team like the Cavaliers? Well, for Cleveland, it, it, it they're fine. Their players are locked up for the future. And I think what you're going to see is that you're not going to see the fruits of this deal until probably 2018, possibly. I think you're going to see less player movement from a free agent standpoint, possibly more from a trade aspect, you're going to see teams locked into this group. Likely not going to see the amnesty provision. That, that's your get out of jail free card to to um, you know get get some cap relief. The cap's going to flatline here. We're not you know we'll take we'll go up to probably 102, 103 uh, this upcoming summer, and then it's basically going to be 105, 106. In that, it's not going to take that drastic uh, jump like we do, we saw this past July. So for teams that spent a lot of money this summer, you better hope that what your product you put on the, on the floor and, and, and how this season turns out is going to be good enough because you might be locked in with these players. We look at all the money the players are making, and it's astronomical, and it's what makes headlines on Twitter, on the vertical, everything else. But it should be noted as obvious that owners are making more, like they're making more money than, than uh, the players have. These owners are raking money in kind of hand over fist because this new television deal as well. Do you expect owners to have more of an appetite or less of an appetite at paying that heavy tax bill uh, because of all the revenues coming in? Because, you know, the elite teams, it seems like most or all are going to be paying a big time tax in the coming years. Well, that that's the thing is that right now we only have two teams in the tax. We have Cleveland and we have the Clippers who are repeater tax and their numbers aren't that high just because of how high the threshold is is though. But we're looking at this is going to catch up to everybody. We're looking at Portland next year, possibly. You still have to sign Mason Plumley, possibly a hundred and fifty million dollar payroll, and oh. then another ninety million in the tax. Clippers, another team: Griffin, Paul, Reddick, 
repeater tax team. Same thing as Portland. And that's why it's so important for the Trailblazers to stay under the tax this year because there's a chance they could be in the, in the tax the next three or four years and, and try to get that, that you know, I guess, flexibility um, you know, in the future. Honestly, basketball in some ways has come to remind me of the NFL in the, in the sense that NFL teams, if they have guys to get a little bit older, they're not afraid to let them go to because they have cheaper talent waiting in the wings. It just makes, to me, it makes the draft that much more important. It makes hitting on these draft picks that much more important. I mean, one guy we've been talking about, not just us, but everybody across the league, you know, quietly, Patrick McCaw, the kid from Golden State, a second-round pick, looks like a potential rotation player for the uh, the Warriors this year. I mean, that's an incredibly valuable asset to have. Now, instead of signing a guy to be your 7th or 8th man, the Warriors have a guy on a cheap salary that they can plug into that spot and have him be effective. I mean, I think... I feel like this, you know, th- these new rules and all this new exploding cap, it just makes being a great drafter that much more important. And, and that's the one question why, when you look at how much the rookie scale could go up, is why maybe the PA didn't fight more. Because I think it's going to take away some jobs from, from some of these older players because you're going to wind up getting some some rookies locked up on an 8 or $9 million contract. And how the cap's going to be you know, structured is that your teams are not going to have the flexibility to go out in free agency and, and, and sign a player. So... If you're an older player, that's my one concern as far as from a from a uh, players association standpoint. That it seems like the young kids coming into the draft are going to be taken care of and, and protected. And I know the mid level will probably increase, and they can hang their hat on that. But I think it's going to take some jobs away here. I'm honestly glad that the amnesty provision is not likely to be a part of it. I, I'm just I'm sorry. I don't want GMs to get the opportunity to cut a guy they just signed <laughs> because there's there's a number of players out there. That you look at these contracts, you go, hell no. I know the money's huge and you got to pay it at some point to somebody, but hell no. I wouldn't have given that guy that much money. Well, I used it twice in <laughs> in New Jersey and uh, I guess it was not, we weren't in Brooklyn yet, but I think we used it on Ron Mercer mm-hmm. and then we used it on Travis Atlaw. And then with Atlaw though, he was one of, he was an amnesty claim by the Kings and we want him getting off the hook for, for a good portion of that, that contract. And it is... It is that get out of jail free card. You're still you still have to pay the money. It comes off your cap though. Um, but as you know, owners can't help themselves during the summer. It's it's a follow you know it's a follow the leader type league. Um, it's when when the the call the GM gets is in the middle of the year when you're ten and twenty, and you just spent sixty million dollars on players, and your owner wants to know why after he just green lighted it during in July. That that's where it all comes comes back to. Do you think? Like, if you were an executive with a team and you were $20 million under the salary cap threshold, are you more likely, because of this climate, to say, you know what, screw it, I've got to spend the money, it'll get spread out over the guys that are currently on my team, I don't want to pay a multi-year contract to a guy I'm not in love with. I don't want to give a Tyler Johnson a multi-year contract if I don't think he can be a rotation player going forward. Do you think we'll see more of that, or will we just see the, the endless splurging that we've seen in the last couple of years? Well, you've got your, you know, Philly, Brooklyn teams like that are under the floor. But Brooklyn tried. They like, did. They, they did try. They did. And I think teams are going to be a little bit more prudent as far as how much money they're they're going to spend um, in, in the future here. And and if I would rather pay my own players, spread it out. If if you don't reach the floor, then going out and, and, and giving a player forget a bad, bad contract. Yeah. I mean, forget about it. Why would you, especially if you're a rebuilding team, like you're going to have to overpay for somebody to come anyway. Why would you give a guy... That you don't absolutely love a three or a four year deal. Why would you do it? Just give the money to the guys that are currently on the roster and and hope that your second round picks and your late first round picks, whatever, uh, eventually develop. 
Well, you're right. And that's why the draft is going to be ever so more important. So for teams that have multiple picks going going uh, in, into the future, the Philadelphia, the Bostons uh, of the world, you're going to build your team because maybe you won't have to go out and pay, overpay a free agent. All right. I want to talk about Golden State and I want to get to Cleveland as well. But I want to continue what has been a, a, a pretty interesting ongoing fight that you and I have had uh, today across multiple platforms, including over the vertical video uh, that you can catch uh, on the vertical.com. Um, Minnesota. I just got back from there, and and look, I, I understand that when you get close to a team over a couple of days, you start to see their strengths emphasized and their weaknesses not. But I look at Minnesota, and I see the coaching addition with Thibodeau. I see the roster additions with Chris Dunn, who I think is going to be an elite defensive player sooner rather than later. Uh, Brandon Rush, who shot 60% from three during the offseason. I see a team that improved in the second half of last season, and I think the coaching, you know, replacing Tibbs or replacing Sam Mitchell and going with Tibbs, it's going to make them that much better. I think Minnesota is a 500 team or better this year and competing for a playoff spot. Tell me why I'm too bullish on the Timberwolves. You're drinking that that Timberwolves Kool Aid, aren't you? I am, man. What's well, the beer of choice up there? I'm drinking that for sure. They'll be better. They're they're you know fighting for playoff spots. They could be um, 500 team. You know they won 29 games last year. Can you take? You know, go plus you know thirteen uh, you know wins to you know get over five hundred. I'm just concerned. Such a young team, not much of a veteran presence there. I know Garnett didn't give you much on the court, but there's nobody in the locker room. Basically, John Lucas is your your oldest player he there. Uh, we you know we talked about it. Adversity. How do you handle losing streaks? New coach. How do you handle when you're winning? Success. You know, do guys start to become selfish? Andrew Wiggins, X-Factor, um, it's a big year for him. The West is always good. So who are you going to leapfrog over? Dallas, Houston, Memphis, Portland, Oklahoma City. We didn't even mention the top three teams. That's my only concern with with this Timberwolf teams. When the games matter, we talked about that. You know, We saw them in March and April. Beat all, I think they beat Golden State um, at, at the end of the year. But what happens when you're... 35 and 30 and you're you know you're fighting for a playoff spot and it kind of gets a little bit tighter when, compared to when you're heading to the lottery. It, there's a lot of different variables there and we can make the case for a lot of different teams uh, with that regards, but I just I'm not ready to buy into uh, Minnesota yet. I'm not ready to sell on them, but I'm kind of in that in-between stage. The Wolves were all over uh the GM survey for a couple of different things. Two questions. One, do GMs actually fill out the GM survey? Um, they get input from their front office, so they actually do the uh, the uh, typing or handwritten or or ha- however they do. But there is there is some dialogue amongst people, um, you know, as far as from a general manager, if it's his assistant GM or or members of the front office, there is some there is some dialogue there. Same as the referee ratings, right. you know. There's a lot of different, you know, you and it's good to have healthy input because it's it's a sec, uh, second set of eyes. Okay, one of the more interesting parts of that survey was. Carl Anthony Towns was became the guy that every general manager, or, or I think 48% of the GM said that they would build a team around. Last year, Anthony Davis was there at 84%. This year, he's like, you know, uh, a, a Division One football team that's just getting votes. He's one of those guys just getting additional votes. My question for you is, have injuries really changed the perception of Anthony Davis that much? Well, with Anthony Towns, it's the flavor of the flavor of the year, I guess. And with Davis, you've got injuries. Uh, team came off a poor year with a lot of injuries amongst their, their roster. 
um, you know, missed a good portion of the end of the season. Kind of that, you know, they went from, you know, being that eight seed, a team on the rise, to kind of now falling back in the pack with a lot of these other lottery teams. We can put them in the mix with, you know, Phoenix and maybe Denver. I think it's just, and there might be a different player next year. We might have a year where Minnesota maybe doesn't exceed expectations, and the next GM survey is that next young player coming out of college, or if it's if there's a player this year, if it's a Brandon Ingram who kind of takes off, um, you know, who jumps out at you, he might be the player. But I think that's how you know GMs look at it. It's kind of that that hot name. I still think uh, Anthony Davis is oh. a huge talent, and and he's been in big moments, so. I, I think it's just a lot of it. We, you know, GMs do get caught up in in the, in the moment. I worry about the injury issues too. There have been a, a, a litany of injuries that have plagued Anthony Davis. He sprained his ankle again uh, in the preseason earlier. But man, he's 23 years old, and he's coming off a second consecutive season where he was right around 24, 25 points, 10 rebounds, and two blocks. He's layering a three point shot onto his game as well. 23, Bobby. There isn't a player in the NBA I would take over Anthony Davis. And I love Carl Anthony Towns, but I would take Anthony Davis over him. Well, the one thing I'm concerned about with Davis is going to be the workload down in New Orleans. You've got yeah. no Holiday, no Evans, no Pondexter. Um, you've already got a batter, batter team. You've got a lot of new faces there. So what other player on that roster can kind of you know help him along? Is he going to have to play 45, um, you know, 45 minutes a night? Is, 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 you know, that's going to be kind of something – in in New Orleans, and you know, can one of these free agents that the Solomon Hill, Etwan Moore, the uh, Langston Galloways, can you find another running mate when while Holiday's out? Yeah, I'm I'm worried about the Pelicans this year. I think they're going to be a pretty big disappointment. Um, Holiday being out with no return date currently in sight. Tyreek Evans is hurt once again uh, for this team. You're you're over relying now on Anthony Davis, and and Alvin Gentry's in kind of this weird spot where. He likes the idea of playing Davis at the five, but when he does, the defense is horrible. I mean, you, you play Davis there, he, he can't, even as great as he is, he can't you know help out on everything. You play an Omer Ashik or an Alex, Alex Ajinka alongside him, and you know the offense stagnates there. So it's it's a tough spot for them to be in. I, I wonder if they don't need to make some kind of sweeping changes there. I mean, Alvin came into that job with a lot of a lot of hype, you know, people thinking his style was going to mesh perfectly with what this team was, but I, I you know, they were a thirty win team last year. Are they a thirty three, thirty four win team this year? Yeah, they are. I mean if 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 the, if anything, because the West got better. I mean, you can make the case with the East too. So who are you gonna who are you gonna, you know, kind of get in front of here? I like Denver, I like the continuity there. They bring back all those young pieces. Phoenix, you know, with with uh, Booker, you know, Bledsoe's finally healthy, Knight's finally healthy, you know, the I Lakers, think Devin Booker's gonna have a huge Oh, uh, he is. And I mean not only I think he turns twenty next yeah. week. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what do they feed those kids at Kentucky? He'll be on his second contract <laughs> at like twenty one and a half. <laughs> it's it's amazing that that should be your your feeder team down at at the University of Kentucky as far as how many good players they've they have produced. And that's my big concern is that the West got bigger, Lakers got better. I think Sacramento got better. Is that everybody's going to be kind of jumped in jumbled in together? Yeah, and the team you didn't mention there, the Utah Jazz. Um, I, I'm high on them. I'm pretty bullish on the Jazz right now because. What they lacked last year, Dennis Lindsay, that staff, they addressed this offseason. I thought they lacked 
veterans that could play. And the one thing they went out and did was they got veterans that can complement the Rudy Gobert's and the Ennis Can- not the Ennis Cantors, but the Derek Favors, Gordon Haywood, Dante Exum. They got George Hill, who's going to be a big upgrade for them, either as a starter at point guard or in a hybrid role alongside Exum. They got Joe Johnson, a guy you know very well. Rough preseason for Joe. I think he shot only under 18 or around 18% from three in the preseason, but I still think he's a shot maker who can help them out a lot. Boris Dia, I have my concerns about Dia when he's playing away from San Antonio. His his record is spotty in those situations, but on paper, he looks like a really nice complement to what uh, what Favors and Gobert uh, can do. I mean, I you know the top three are kind of set in the Western Conference: Golden State, Clippers, San Antonio, whatever order you want to put them in. But that 4-5 spot, whether it's Portland and Utah, I think those two teams are going to be fighting it out for that position. I think they're a 50-win team. You're right, and we can also throw Oklahoma City in the the mix, too. And with Utah, when you looked at the last um, week of the regular season, they could not get over the hump versus the Clippers. I think Dallas, too, those two games. And you basically had you know Hood or Hayward kind of on an island by themselves, and there was never that third guy out there and now you add Johnson and I know he's he's a little bit up there in age but he's the ultimate closer yep uh the ultimate professional he'll be great for that for that locker room there uh you've got Dio now you've got George Hill and and that was the big thing with with the, with the Jazz and they actually started playing well when they made the Shelvin Mack trade at the deadline and, and brought another uh you know another point guard in because they didn't get much out of uh Trey Burke Alec Burks has been hurt um, Exum was hurt last year, so now you basically you bring back a lot of these guys with Johnson, with um, Dio and Hill. Gotta get off to a good start. The Hayward injury kind of concerns me a little bit as far as how long he'll be out to. Um, you can't go in some of these prolonged losing streaks as far as four or five in a row. You've kind of really got to keep your head afloat. Stay at least five hundred until he gets back. Are you a believer? In in Gordon Hayward, I mean that's that's a, that's a wrong way to put it because I mean everyone's kind of a believer in what he is, but I mean what's the ceiling for a guy like him? Can he become the alpha? Can he become your your team superstar, so to speak? Well, that's a hard question. You know, he's a great number two guy for mm-hmm. you, but can he step up and be a number one? And he's going to get probably get paid as a number one. Yeah. He's got a player option. He's pro- you know his salary is, tw- is going to be maybe twenty eight million. So are you, you comfortable? Pay him for your yeah, time. You, if, have if, you have to. You basically have raised raised him from when you when you drafted him. If you don't, somebody else will. Well, and that's the thing. It, there always is, and, and you can make the argument with Chris Paul in, in Los Angeles. If, I mean, you have to pay him five years, probably one hundred ninety, because if you don't, somebody it will be in New York. But going back to back to Hayward, that that's going to be the the big interesting thing. Can he take that next step? And be that number one guy. I think he's kind of in that in between that that you know that one two. He's maybe is a one point five right now as far as from a level of of play. So a team you like is Indiana, and as as one of those. I mean, when you say you like them, are they four five to you? Are they six? I mean, where do you see them in that Eastern Conference hierarchy? I think they're solid. I think them and Atlanta are two solid teams. I don't see them as a as a two three. Um, in that no, range, I think Boston, Toronto are kind of in that dogfight for two, three. No, I agree, and I think we could have probably put Detroit up there if Reggie Jackson was healthy. Yeah. Um, I think, I think what you see in the East is outside of the the top three is that uh, four on to thirteen. We could probably throw Brooklyn and, and Philly out of it. Are really, it's a it's going to be a dogfight for those roster spots. But I just like Indiana based on. Their depth, um, you've got basically 10 deep right now. It's going to be, you know, health is going to be important. We always see the C.J. Miles, the Monte Ellis, some type of injury kind of creeps up mid-year that they're out for. Um, uh, Rodney Stuckey out for a long period of time. 
you've got one of the top 10 players with, with Paul George, Thad Young. You've got uh, Jeff Teague, Al Jefferson, another year of Miles Turner. Um, I think Love them in Atlanta team. are solid, um, you know, but I could I could easily see a team like Charlotte or maybe even Indiana with Frank Vogel kind of, you know, jumping in that mix. It's Orlando, be, right? Orlando, Orlando yeah. is going to be uh, jumping that mix. It's going to be, it's going to be, you're going to have to, you know, play your, you know, your A game every night, especially you got the East and the West to deal with. Orlando, that's a weirdly constructed team though. I mean, that's like seven bigs, you know, lacking real backcourt play right there unless you're in love with Alfred Payton, Evan Fournier. I mean, I, I'm not, I mean, Bismack Biombo had a great postseason couple of series, but I thought that was a lot of money to pay him, especially considering they, they have pieces in place there. I mean, you've got Vucevic, they've got Serge Ibaka you just signed. I think Aaron Gordon has to be a four to maximize his talent. As a three, his athleticism is kind of wasted. I think he has to be a four there. I mean, that's, I, I love Frank Vogel. I think he's a, he's a very underrated coach. He'll do a great job with what he has, but the way that roster is constructed, very top-heavy uh, towards the bigs. You're right. Their wings are a, a question mark. Um, you've got a lot of unproven. Meeks has been out still yeah. with, with the foot. You've got two centers that could probably start for any team with Vucevic and Biombo. That's going to be a team to watch as far as, you know, do they use Vucevic as a trade chip going, um, you know, during the season? He's got a great contract. Does Biombo kind of slide in? Can you maybe add some some depth um with uh with, with your guards it it is a kind of a funky lineup um how they built it this summer another guy you're going to have to pay is Ibaka you know is he he's you know, not he, taking a discount no are you comfortable paying him 26 27 million dollars so they'll be better can they get in the playoffs i think it'll be hard um but they'll certainly be improved especially with 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 Frank down there if you were in charge in Boston put yourself in in Danny Ainge's position how careful are you this year with the deals that you make? Because I, I saw Brooklyn play a few times already. That's an 18-win team, 18 to 20 wins this season. That pick that Boston has the right to swap with them, that's incredibly valuable. That's There's there's no two ways about it. That's going to be a top three pick, uh, no question. And this is a draft that the early projections, the guys at Draft Express and other places have said it looks like a pretty good draft that we're, we're headed towards there. How careful are do you have to be if you're Ainge about trading that pick or you know even one of the other ones. I put it in my pocket and I don't do anything with really? it unless you're going to get a, 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 an all-star level player. What's an all-star? Like say Lamarcus Aldridge is on the table. Is he the type of guy worth giving up a pick like that? Well, the name sounds appealing, but you have to figure out can he fit uh, fit next to Horford. Yeah. That's that's the big thing. I think when you look at names, Cousins is another name that we've certainly heard about. Can he fit next to um, Al, because a lot Al's, of mixed feelings about Cousins in Boston too. They're not; it's not a, a across the board. We'll take him. I think there's some people in the organization that don't love him, right? And 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 with the the Nets pick, it's it likely will probably be a you know top four. They have the right to uh, right to swap with that. And I would not do anything. I would have probably been more a little more aggressive last year with with the Nets pick, just because I wasn't in love with um, with with the draft. Could be a potentially a great draft, um, but you know they're always these seventeen, eight year old kids. But um, from talking with the guys at Draft Express, it, it is a very top heavy draft, um, loaded with a lot of uh, a lot of potential. But you also have that Memphis pick that you can use. Yep. You know that maybe we don't know how this Grizzly team will go. You know, can there is there a lot of injuries? And this is a, a pick out in the in the future, but that's that's certainly a, a bargaining chip there. Clarify for me though with with. With trading swap rights, how does that work? Can the Celtics dangle the swap rights, the Nets pick? How would they would they go about trading that if they uh, were looking to do it? Well, you would have to get the Nets on board as far as from a from a um, from a swap standpoint because 
with Brooklyn, you have to make sure that they still have a pick right. at their disposal because you remember the 2018 pick goes to Boston. So you have to have, you know, from an amendment standpoint, the Nets have to be in the mix uh, in, in that regard. It's 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 a very complicated uh, process. I think we saw uh, maybe last year with Denver, Toronto, New York, that, you know, there was all three teams there. And um, so it, it's a challenge to actually uh, trade a swap. You'd, you'd probably be better off moving the 18 pick. I think there that could also have value because in Brooklyn, it's going to be a, you know, it's a slow rebuild and they'll probably be in the lottery for the next two years. So it's maybe more likely that uh, a, a trade involving that pick is done after the draft. You know, the, the pick is taken, used in ostensibly for the player said team wants in, in a Boston trade. That may be a little more easy. That's a lot easier because then you're just trading the, the rights to the rights to the player and it, and you kind of you get away from a little bit of that snafu. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the Knicks um, and, and what they have, I guess, going for them right now. I mean, they've got a roster that's loaded with star players. I think it's a more compelling roster. It's a better roster than they had a year ago. But my big question, Bobby, and we talked about this in, in one of our vertical videos, is how do they make sure – that Kristaps Porzingis is not lost in the shuffle. This guy is the future of this team. He is a early 20s budding superstar, a guy that I think is eventually going to become one of the most dangerous centers in NBA history, frankly, because of what he can do at that position. You've got a lot of guys on that roster that are ball-dominant players. you got Derrick Rose, whose reputation is as a scorer. Carmelo Anthony, a scorer. I mean, Courtney Lee is a, a ball mover, a shot maker, so to speak, but... I mean, how do they make sure that Porzingis isn't, like, attempting five shots a game some nights? Well, the one thing you don't want, and we'll see with, uh, you know, starting Cleveland, I don't want Kristaps uh, Porzingis standing in a corner looking for the ball. No. That will be— It not, wastes him. That will be a waste and has having him defer. And you're right, you know, Rose is a, is a ball-dominated, you know, point guard. He is not a pass-first. Um, and it, we'll see how he, he handles, you know, being out for basically the whole preseason. And you've got Anthony— uh, and then you've got complementary pieces, you know, with Noah, more of the dirty work. Lee, um, you know, is is there also. Your bench isn't great. Um, but you're right. You cannot let him defer to some of these players because he is your future. As much as Carmelo Anthony, you know, is their all-star, you know, Christophe Porzingis is, is the future of this team. This is a challenge for Jeff Hornacek, and I'm writing more about this uh, on Wednesday to, 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 you know, to make his offense work for Porzingis. I mean, this is always in the last couple of months, it's been a weird situation in New York. You're trying to figure out, okay, they're running the triangle, but they're running how much of the triangle? They're going to play up tempo, but how does that work with the triangle? I mean, all of it is sort of, uh, it's sort of very confusing right now. I mean, Hornacek, I mean, his primary responsibility, even at the cost of wins in some cases, is to make sure Porzingis gets his shots. And I agree with you. I also think standing in the corner is a waste of Porzingis' time. In some cases, structurally, being in the triangle, I think, is a waste of time. I think the best the best way to utilize Kristaps Porzingis is to have put him in funky situations. Try to run him around screens. Have him at the top of the key. Create mismatches. Can you imagine, and I've, I've thought this for a year now, Porzingis the center just facing down Brooke Lopez and DeMarcus Cousins and, and all these other pure pivots that are out there. Even the smaller guys posting them up. This guy is a matchup nightmare, nightmare in the same way that Dirk Nowitzki was a matchup nightmare. That's, that's how you want to use Porzingis. I'm just not sure that the system the Knicks have in place is maximizing his talents. Well, I don't think besides the system, I don't think the roster in yeah. place, because you are very, you have a roster imbalance because you have Noah Plumlee, uh, Heron Gomez, um, 
you've got a lot of uh, Kyle Quinn. Um, so you're top heavy with with your bigs in in that regards, and you're you're lacking some depth with your you know your wings. You only got two point guards, so that's the big thing. Besides the system, as far as you know, you know how does that roster fit in with what they did this summer? And I know it looks good on on paper, but what happens when you get one of those key injuries? Who's going to step up off the bench for for New York? All right, I'm not going to sit here and ask you to make an argument for. A, a team to knock off Golden State or Cleveland. I, I just don't, I just, I can't see it. I can't make a rational argument that somebody in the postseason is going to beat Golden State in four games. I'm a little less certain about Cleveland because at some point LeBron's going to wear down and is Kevin Love, LeBron, Tristan Thompson, is that lineup going to work uh, long term? Plus, they lost some guys too. No backup point guard anymore. Uh, I don't know if Mozgov is a huge loss for them at this point. But in either conference, give me a, a team. That's going to give them the biggest scare. Both both conferences. Who gives them the most, biggest scare? Well, in the West, it's the Clippers. But I and I and I say it based on what their roster looks like right now. I like their bench. Um, I like what they did this summer with Felton and Spates and and Brandon Bass. Um, they brought back you know Crawford and, and Rivers and Johnson. Um, but it always comes down to health. Can you know Chris Paul stay healthy? Can Blake Griffin stay healthy? Um, can they get through the season without an injury? Can you get to the playoffs without either having an injury or a heartbreak, you know, in, in a series? And I think if you if you if you rolled out the playoffs right now, if you skip the regular season and you put those two teams and you said, all right, these are your two Eastern the Western Conference Finals teams, I think they can give them a challenge. But it's a matter of getting there. Can you get through an 82 game season? Can you get through two rounds to actually get there? You have to get through probably San Antonio. So I think out west, it's it's the Clippers. Out east, when we take out outside of um, uh, Cleveland, I'm going to say Boston, but it's going to have to be. In, in a lot of these, are worth asterisks. Their young kids are going to have to grow up mighty quick here. Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, uh, Olinick is still hurt. Um, huge year, you know. We've mentioned player development there as far as um, Gerald Green, wild card. Yep. You don't know what you're going to kind of get there, but they've kind of has that that recipe we saw last year to beat the, that Golden State team. Um, so in in the East, it's going to be Boston, but you know it's a it's a it's a hard you know estimate just because of how Golden State has really separated themselves. Yeah, I'm with you with Boston, the East. I think in a it, it could be a dogfight um, in a seven game series if Cleveland's not 100, percent and if one of those young guys that you mentioned can step in and replace Nevin Turner. I, I almost lean towards San Antonio though in the West. I don't know. I don't know what intangibles are going to cost them with Tim Duncan. I don't know what the impact of removing him from the locker room is going to be. I do think offensively they're better with Pau Gasol out there in that lineup. I think he still has enough left in the tank to be perhaps more of a threat than Duncan was at that end of the floor. A huge season, obviously, for LaMarcus Aldridge. And Kawhi Leonard can lock you down. I mean, he can neutralize Kevin Durant in some ways with the way uh, he defends. To me, it comes down to Tony Parker. And can Tony Parker... You're not going to match Steph Curry, but can you give Steph Curry something to think about on the other end of the floor? Can you be effective? And we've seen in the last couple of years, Tony Parker's skills have eroded. He's, he came into the league as a teenager, and those skills have, have worn down over the course of a long career with a lot of playoff games. If Tony Parker can be uh, the guy for them, if he can you know, be something close to what he was a few years ago, they might be able to give Golden State a couple of problems. Well, that's what it comes down to, and I think when we looked at, back at that Oklahoma City series is that their guards – the Spurs, their age started to show, and and from a quickness standpoint, you're going to need one of these guys to kind of find the fountain of youth here. So that's my big concern with 
with the Spurs, it's not with, you know, Leonard or Aldridge or or even even Pau Gasol, but it's your backcourt. You've got Danny Green out for a little while now with an injury. That Parker, um, Ginobili, uh, Patty Mills kind of, you know, can one of those guys keep up with, with some of these younger backcourts in, in the NBA? And that's going to be really the, the challenge for San Antonio. And either way, I mean, beating either one of these teams in four games, it, it's just hard to envision. It's hard to figure out. Uh, Bobby, always appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Thanks for uh, joining the podcast. Thanks, Chris. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Andrew Wiggins and Bobby Marks for joining the show. A reminder, you can download this podcast and other archive podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, really anywhere you can download podcasts. If you like it, post a comment, give us a rating. You know I appreciate it. While you're there, check out the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Redick and the Vertical Podcast with Woj. I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Doc Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.